Lord. Don't you love the name of Jesus? Hallelujah. It's great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah. It's just wonderful to come and bless his name because he's been so good to us, hasn't he? Amen. It's so good to see everyone here this early, this awake. I don't know what we all took, but we're awake, at least for now. Amen. And so uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you all for, uh, for being here. I mean, our first day of relaunching, uh, getting back into the swing of things. Amen. And so um, as it's been, I think, about 18 months or so, ever since Corona began, we've kind of shut down. But uh, we got to continue moving forward. I mean, we can't allow things of the world to hold us back. But we, we've got a plan and a purpose from God. We've got a calling, and we gotta we got to do what we got to do. Amen. And that often requires sacrifice on behalf of the people of God, and thank you for all of your sacrifice for for being here, and um, uh, I know many of you may, may have uh, had to sleep in, got to sleep in for the past 18 months, but hey, we're here now, huh? got enough sleep, right, to get us going, right, amen, so good to see everyone here today, um, let's re read our text real quick, and we can be seated, Genesis 3 and 9. The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree? Where have I commanded thee not that shouldest not eat? The man said, The woman that thou gavest with me, she gave of me the tree I did eat. The Lord God said unto the woman, What is that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me and I did eat. The Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field, above, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Amen. So you may be seated today. Amen. And, and so uh, to understand, uh, get us all on the same page, beginning this, this Sunday school hour as we are starting uh, today, obviously. Um, the Pentecostal Publishing House has uh, redone their curriculum and they've synchronized everything so that every, every class, every age group, every level, we're all teaching from the same thing. Obviously, the, what we teach here today uh, is going to be much deeper than what they're teaching back there in Sunday school, but it's all from the same topic, the same passage of Scripture, uh, and, and so we're all learning the same thing on the same day at the, at the same time. Uh, so and I appreciate the, the unity that they've, the vision of that, where they, the church can come together and be together on the same page. And so that means when, you know, when you're, if you've got kids and you're taking them home from, from church today, um, you, we, we usually ask our kids, what did you learn in kids' church and all, these, all that and try to get it out of them. And, uh, but now you're going to have an idea of what they're talking about in Sunday school because we're talking about the same kind of thing here, the same topic and the same message. Uh, and, and so um, with that... Uh, we have these things. They made these books for, for those who have children, uh, daily devotionals. Um, every single day you can have something for your kids, and it's, it reiterates what they learned in Sunday school today. 
And so all week long, they're just going to be building on what they learned in Sunday school today. Uh, and so if you have kids, obviously the books are out there. Grab one of these so that we have something that we can teach our children every single day, uh, apart from above and beyond what we're already teaching ourselves. Um, also, um, we have there, they have uh, the same thing, daily devotionals for, for youth-aged kids. And so there's something every single day that you can talk about with your uh, youth-aged kids. And again, it's all building off, off of the message today. Uh, and, and so if you have youth-aged kids, you can pick those up as well. And last but not least, uh, they made something for you and I. So, um, homework. We're back in school, Sunday school. We all have homework now. Uh, so, now, not just do we have uh, daily uh, connections and devotions for our children, but they have also put together something for adults as well. And again, it, it's, it's the same thing. It builds off today's message and it goes on through all, all the week. And so, um, they even have uh, uh, scripture reading um, that you can do if you don't have your if you're not doing your own Bible plan reading plan they have they have uh, a reading plan in here for you each and every day and so uh, those are all we have all of those available for everybody uh, and so if you're interested and you want one uh, we want to we want to grow stronger as a church and it, the, doing that we're, when we're all learning the same thing and, and every day we're reiterating it and uh, learning about it I mean we become stronger as a as a body Amen. Amen. And so uh, tonight, or today, uh, kicking off the Sunday school hour, and what better uh, way to hear about why we are here today, uh, because here in, in sunny southwest Florida, uh, knowing where we're at in the time of the year, we could have been kicking back our feet and relaxing under a tree in the Garden of Eden, but yet we're here. Uh, and humid southwest Florida. Man was not created for these conditions. Uh, we weren't created for these conditions. Uh, we we were, not, were not supposed to be like this. This world was not supposed to be like this. Everything was good and perfect in the beginning, and humanity was one with God, and, and the voice of, the, of, the, of God came down and he walked with Adam in the cool of the day, the Bible tells us. And so there, man and God would converse and they would talk. And Adam would talk about his day, what animals he named that day, and, and why he chose those names, because God gave him the dominion to do that. And he would talk about what he saw and what he, what he had done. And uh, this act, that the Almighty God would take the time to come to earth and to talk with mankind... It shows us and it clearly tells us something that God desires. And that is relationship with you and me. Uh, he took the time uh, in the beginning to do that. And the fact that God knows everything, that he knows everything that has happened and will happen before it even happens, um, uh, he knows all of those things and yet he decides to come down and say, hey, Adam, tell me about your day. Like Adam, like God didn't already know. Uh, and, and so um, we, we see that God knows already what uh, they are going to do uh, and what we're going to say. And, and so the only thing 
uh, that is worse than knowing what is going to happen before it happens is to listen to somebody whine and then have to hear them whine again. You know, uh, uh, my girls start whining about something and it's kind of like a dagger just goes right in me. It just, you know, it just it hits that nerve. Just, they're whining about something. Uh, and, and so I only need to hear that once and I'm already ready to go. Uh, and so the, what's worse is having to hear that again the second time or the third time. Uh, and, and so the agony of that. And so uh, the fact that God already knows what we are going to say before we even open our mouth, and yet he still wants to come down and hear you say it. He's already heard you say it before you said it. But now he wants to come down and actually hear you say it. And, and that for him, that's going to be hearing it twice. And, and, and many times that is an act of love because many times it's not all the good stuff. Many times we are the one that's whining, and as much as we don't like to hear people whine or our kids whine, uh, sometimes God hears that, and he's already heard it before we even said it, and he's like, hey, I'm going to go down and spend time with them, and I know what they're going to say, but I'm going to sit through it because I love them. I mean, that is love, listening to somebody say things time and time again when you already know what they're going to say. So he's got more love and more patience than I do. And yet, he, he does that to me. He, he still wants to hear my cry and spend time with me, even though he already knows what I'm going to say. And if he's willing to do that, and he wants to do that so much, uh, how do you think God feels when there is something that prevents him from getting to us? If he loves us that much, and he wants to come down and spend time with us, uh, how do you think he feels if he, if he can't get to us? What if a barrier or something causes a separation between God and his creation? And do you think that God will be like, oh, oh well, um, I just can't, I can't get to them. I can't reach them. I can't go down there. I can't talk with my people anymore. I, I wonder what else I'm going to do with my time because I can't go and reach them. That's not how God's love works. God's love is so strong for us that he doesn't want there to be a separation. And if there is a separation, he's going to try to, he's going to figure out a way that he can make uh, a way for us to get back and get connected with him because that's what he wants. He wants relationship with you and I. And so if God loves us so much that he wants to spend time with us, he's not going to let anything block him from getting to us. And because God is a God of relationship and he wants to, wants to be there walking amongst his people and be with him, God will make a way, and, and it may not be entirely for you. It may not be for your sake. It may just be because God wants to be there and he's going to do what he needs to do to be there uh, so that he can make a way to be there with us. And if he wants to be with us that bad, he's going to make a way, won't he? And the most strenuous part, the most strenuous part of Adam's day, the hardest thing that Adam had to do, all his quote-unquote work, was he had to walk to a tree and he had to grab and he eat some fruit of it. That's probably the most strenuous part of his day. He would almost just sweat, just, just break a sweat reaching for that fruit and and all that energy he used, chewing and then ingesting that fruit, and uh, oh boy, you know what comes next, a nap. 
Got to cool down. Adam had to cool down. Take some rest, Adam, before you work too hard and have a heat stroke because, I mean, you know, hardest part of your day just kind of walking around and, and picking fruit and eating it. That's how life was in the in the in, in perfection. There was there was no strenuous work, no sweat, nothing like that that we deal with. So the hardest part of Adam's day was literally walking around and eating food. Uh, and, and so the life that was lived in Eden, and uh, we all have our own idea of what Eden must have been like. But while we may differ on the details, I think that we would all agree. Uh, we would probably much rather be there in Eden than being here in Southwest Florida. But we're not we're not there, are we? Instead, instead we get to sweat and we get to feel pain and we get to suffer and we get to go to work and we get we we put in the labor and uh, to earn a, a decent wage and to immediately watch the government take its cut out without them doing anything and uh, before we even get to touch our paycheck and. Who do we get to thank for all of this? Who do we get to thank for all this? And that is the question, isn't it? Whose fault, whose fault is it for the way that this world is right now? It's a rather hard thing to do to admit that you are wrong and that you've made a mistake. Uh, our first option is usually to take the finger and appoint it to somebody else. Try to blame somebody else for uh, their mistake. It's, it's their fault. It's their mistake because of, of what they did or they did not do. Uh, that, that's the reason that we're here in this predicament, that I'm in this thing right now. Uh, many times we try to blame others when we are the ones at fault. But today, here and now, we actually do get to point the finger at somebody else. And say, it's, it's your fault, we are here today, it's in this state uh, because of what happened in the Garden of Eden thousands of years ago, we have documented evidence in the Word of God that flat out tells us that this isn't our fault. Aren't you thankful that something is not our fault? We can point the finger at somebody else today. Uh, for once, we are actually declared innocent for something, and, and so... Uh, now we just have to decide who to point the finger at. Do we blame Satan? Do we blame Adam? Do we blame Eve for, for this fallen world? Uh, to settle the blame game, we need to go to the one in charge of it all. Uh, Adam was put in charge of this world, so we, we at least need to start with him to figure out where the blame game begins and ends. Uh, in our text, verse 9, the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told thee thou was naked, and hast thou eaten of the tree? Where have I commanded that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And so there we go. The word of God has spoken, and musicians can come, and we can all pray. We found out the blame game. Adam said, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. She gave me the tree and I ate of it. Uh, and, and so God now, in his grace and mercy, he says, okay, you're pointing the finger at Eve. Let me go talk to Eve. Uh, get her side of the story. Genesis 3.13, the Lord God said unto the woman, what is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, she said, well, if, if Adam is my head, then I'm going to follow his lead. He blamed me, so hey, 
That's a real, he's setting an example, so I'm going to start blaming somebody else. Uh, he said, she said, the serpent beguiled me and I did eat. And, and so I can see God just kind of shaking his head and thinking, these two, these two here, they were just made for each other. They're two peas in a pod, aren't they? They're going to go real far in life. And, and so the Lord goes over to the serpent. And the serpent's looking around saying, oh, the blame game has started. They're blaming each other, and now the finger's getting pointed to me, and uh, I got to keep this blame train going on. I got to blame somebody else. And he's looking around, and there's no one there. And and so there he is. The serpent is stuck without anybody to blame. Uh, And it's interesting to note that God doesn't even ask the serpent. He asked Adam what's going on. He asks Eve what's going on. He doesn't ask the serpent what's going on. He just lays right into him, and and God just straight up curses the serpent. Doesn't even get his uh, opinion on the matter. In verse 14, the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and and thou shalt bruise his heel. And so again, what does this show you when regards to the relationship between humanity and God? If if you care about somebody, you're going to ask them questions. You want to know, why did you make that? Why did you choose that? Why did you do that? Uh, Help me understand. Uh... Because you care for them, you're, you're inquiring, what was your thinking process? Uh, you, why did you do such and such? And if you don't care about somebody, you're not going to ask them their thoughts or their feelings. Uh, you're just going to curse them, right? We don't care what you have to say. I'm just going to curse you. Uh, and so the first curses to be handed out went to, serpent, to the serpent and Satan. But it wasn't totally Satan's fault, was it? Adam and Eve each received curses for their own actions. Uh, women were cursed with, with pain during childbirth, and, and men are cursed by working the cursed ground. And, and so man has a sinful nature now, and all of mankind is separated from God, all because of this thing called choice. The freedom of choice. The ability to say yes or, or no. God gave that freedom to mankind. You can choose, yes or no. Do you want to follow uh, uh, my word or not? Do you want to obey the mandate or not? God gave us a a choice. And so uh, he did not give this choice to animals. He did not give it to birds or fish or trees. No, they they just obey their uh, creative, instinctive nature. They They don't stop and say, no, I don't want to do this today. That option is only given to mankind. And so we have the ability to choose. And so, again, this shows the depth of love that God has for mankind. Above and beyond all other creatures, all other components of creation, man has this special thing called the freedom of choice. Uh, Man has a choice, and that is due to love. And, And so when you give somebody the opportunity to love you, that's when they will give you their whole heart, or they won't give it to you at all. That's the power of choice. Uh, you, uh, uh, you cannot make somebody give you their heart. You can't make them. 
You can, you can command them. You can have a, a mandate go out and you must, you must love me. You must give me, give me your heart and your obedience. Uh, as good as, as uh, you, that may sound like it's good, we can't do that. They may, whatever they offer is not going to be their whole heart because uh, to give somebody your whole heart, you have to willingly give that. You have to have the opportunity to say, no, I don't want to give it to you. Or, or yes, I do want to give it to you. And that's when somebody will give them their whole heart. And, and that is what God wants from humanity and from you and me. He wants our whole heart. And the only way that he can get our whole heart is to give us the choice, the opportunity to love him. But as you know, not everyone chooses to do that. Not everyone will, will, will love you and give you their heart. There will be those who choose to ignore, to disobey, to hate, uh, to turn their back on you and to make other things more important in their life than, than you, God. And uh, that's, that's what comes with the freedom of choice. Not everyone, you want everyone to make the right choice, but not everyone does. Uh, and, and so as heartbreaking as it is, it just makes those who do choose to love him, who choose to give him their heart, it makes that relationship so much more special, doesn't it? Because God knows you don't have to do that. God knows you have the option to go and do what you want and, and ignore his, his word and his laws, but yet you chose to say, no, God, I'm going to follow you. No, God, I'm going to love you. No, God, I'm going to submit to you. And it makes that relationship so much more special. Those that choose to love God, it would seem that God would move heaven and earth to fight for those type of people, to, to help them, to keep them, and to protect them because God knows we don't have to love him, but yet we choose to love him. We, we don't have to worship him, but yet we are here worshiping him on our own accord. And you don't think that that gets the attention of Almighty God when the people he created don't have to, but yet he finds some people say, hey, God, we're over here willingly giving you all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength. That's the power of free will that we have to choose. And so God's going to really pay lots of attention to those people who choose to follow him because he knows we don't have to. And there is a world of benefits that we've talked about in the relationship series that we just finished. Uh, how God, what he does for those who, who choose to follow him. And so with free will comes a choice. In the garden there uh, not only was the tree of knowledge of good and evil, but we are also told there was another tree called the tree of life. And obviously there's many trees. It can't be a garden without trees. Uh, and so uh, what did God said? He says, you, you, can't eat, you can't eat from both of these trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. You can't eat from both. You can't eat from both and, and still be here. So either the tree of life or the knowledge tree, uh, you choose, Adam, which one you want to eat from. We, we know that God told Adam not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so we have to believe that Adam knew exactly where this tree was. Adam knew exactly where this tree was. And he knew what it looked like. Because why, why I find it hard to believe that God would tell Adam, there's a tree somewhere in this garden. You can eat of every tree in the garden, but there's one tree that if you eat of it, you're going to die. 
Like, why would God not tell them what tree that was? Especially when all they did was eat, eat fruit and, and vegetables and things like that. Uh, and so, so Adam knew exactly which tree this was. In Genesis 3 and 3, uh, this is Eve saying, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, so they knew the location of it. It's in the middle of the garden. God hath said, ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And so there it was, right in the center of the garden. And in, in my mind, this sacred tree is not just some little tree shrub uh, that's growing in some kind of dense part of the, of the jungle that you really don't know. Uh, and you're just kind of climbing through and you fall over the tree of knowledge of good and evil and you touch it and you die. That's not kind of how I, I imagine God setting this thing up. I mean, God is a just God. He's a fair God. He's not going to trick you and have you trip over it and you die because you touched that tree. Uh, and, and so I picture a wide open clearing, picture number one, like a, like a small field with a, a large tree right in the center of it. There it is, Adam. There it is. I cleared everything out. You got to walk a while to get to that tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there it is. You can eat of any other tree, but here in this wide open clearing, I'm going to put a tree right in the middle of the garden. That's the tree not to eat of, not to touch. So there's not a single other tree for 100 feet all around. And so to get to that tree, you have to walk in the open field. And every step that you take, you know where you are headed. Every step you take, you know that you are not there by accident. There's no hiding behind other trees close by it. No. You are out there in the open. You are exposed. There's nothing to hide your sin and your shame. And if you're going to go in that direction, you're going to know it. And yet somehow, somehow Adam and Eve and the serpent end up standing up, standing under that tree. Somehow they end up under there. Really? How, how did they even get that far? How did they even get that far? God didn't tell Adam not to eat of it, and he said, he said not to eat of it. But he also said, don't even touch it. Don't even touch the tree. And, and yet, there they are, under the tree, chit-chatting with the serpent. Way out there in the middle of the field. Adam blames Eve, but Adam should not have held Eve's hands as they were walking out there. Like, how are you going to blame Eve when you guys were walking out there like some romance walk out in the middle of the, uh, the tree? You know exactly where you're going. You know exactly where you're going. It's not like the two of you are strolling along and the, and the apple fell off the tree and it knocked you upside your head and you just kind of took a bite of it. That's not how it happened. Uh, no, Adam knew every step of the way uh, where they were going, uh, that this wasn't where they should be going. This doesn't feel right. Uh, this doesn't feel right going in that direction. I, I don't like where we are headed, but instead of declaring the word of God and making a stand, he went along with it and he watched it all happen. Uh, now, I, I don't know how Adam's interactions with the animals had been. But we are only told that he named them. He had dominion over them. So I'm sure he said, you animal, come over here. Let me name you or whatever. I don't know how it went. But um, maybe he talked to them and maybe they talked back. I don't know, but probably not. So one day this creature, this serpent, 
just all of a sudden starts asking questions about eating fruit from trees. Uh, hello, why is this serpent asking about what fruits can I eat from from trees? Like, it's none of your business, serpent. Like, you can't even you can't even eat the fruit of the tree. Why all of a sudden are now you asking me questions about which tree I can or cannot eat from? But something's up. This doesn't. This isn't normal. And, and instead of Adam telling the serpent to be quiet, and since Adam had dominion over all the animals, had Adam told the serpent to stop talking, I believe the serpent would have stopped talking because Adam had dominion. Told him to shut his mouth, and, and boom, the serpent couldn't talk. But yet he didn't exercise his dominion. Instead, Adam uh, let the serpent keep talking, and he watched Eve, his wife, respond back, and they were conversing with this, with this creature. They're talking with him, and, and, and he let the serpent slowly lead them out away from the canopy of trees into that long walk of the open field to that one tree where they were not to go. And I don't know if the fruit of this tree was so incredible, uh, so better, much looking than every other fruit, but it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter what the fruit looked like on that tree. Maybe it glistened in the sunlight unlike any other fruit, but that doesn't matter. Maybe it was wrapped in bacon. That doesn't matter. That's even more tempting. But it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter what that fruit looked like. It doesn't matter if it was glistening with diamonds. It doesn't matter what it is. God said don't touch it, don't eat it. Don't go near it. Uh, and, and so uh, this one tree was off limits and Adam and Eve found themselves under the tree. And so the serpent's goal was not to get Adam and Eve to eat the fruit. The serpent knew that if he could somehow, just somehow, get them close to the tree, then he would have a good chance of getting them to disobey the word of God. Yeah, he wants them to eat the fruit, but hey, let's, let's take it baby steps here. If I can just get them to walk out in that field, I'm doing good. If I can get them close to that tree, I'm doing good. And I, I'm happy because this is, they've never been this far before. Getting close to sin is not sin, is it? But why would you want to be that close to it? Why would you want to be that close to that tree? And so as they're walking across that field, as they hopped the fence and jumped on the other side of that guardrail, Satan knew that he had them right where he wanted because now all of a sudden they're walking towards that tree. Uh, let, let's, let's first just get them to drop a little bit of standards here, just hop the fence, and, and let's get them to do little baby steps to start walking in the wrong direction. And, and before they had even taken that first bite of the fruit, they had already sinned. We, we, we label the, the sinning by eating the fruit, but I think they sinned even before they took a first bite. Because God didn't just say, don't eat of the fruit, he said, don't even touch it. That you have to touch it before you can eat it. And, and so, uh, as soon as they touched it, they had sinned. Uh, eating it was just finishing the deal, because as soon as they touched it, what would happen? You should surely die. And so when Eve, if she was the first one, uh, if she reached up and grabbed the fruit and she touched it, did Eve drop dead? That's what Adam was told. You touch it, you eat it, you're going to die. Well, Eve touched it. She's still alive. And don't you think the serpent used that against them? Has God surely said you're going to die? Look at you. You're holding this fruit. You're not dead, are you? 
And so when she didn't drop dead, the serpent said, hath God really said you will die? And that, and that was it. That sealed the deal. If, if I can just get them near it, if I, if I can just get them to touch it, and if they touch it, then surely they're definitely going to eat it. And so uh, the starting line of sin never looks like the finishing line of sin. The pleasures of sin only last for a season, but the wages of sin is death. And man became separated from God as they were drawn out to that open field underneath that tree. You stand with me today. And let's just think about this for a minute. What would be the easiest thing for God to do? Banish Adam and Eve and allow this corrupted human race to begin Knowing it that would knowing that it would lead to all sorts of problems, or could God just have hit Adam and Eve with a lightning bolt because He did say you're going to die? How hard would it have been for God just to start over right there and say, "Boom, you disobeyed, you're dead. Let me go. Let me start over. Let me go and create another man and start over." It would have been easier for God to make remake a man than allow 6,000 years of, of wickedness to, to continue on. 6,000 years of sin and suffering or 60 seconds to make a new man. But God chose to redeem mankind instead of starting over because that's the love that he has for his creation. He chose to make a way of salvation, a, a way for mankind to come back to him. Adam, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? Where are you, Adam? God didn't have to play hide and seek with Adam. God knew exactly where he was, but he didn't, did he? God, God didn't have to kill animals and clothe them to keep them warm. He could have let them keep their leaves on and let them freeze to death and get sick and die. But he says, no, I'm going to kill these animals and I'm going to make something that they can, they can live by and keep them warm through the night. Uh, he covered up their sin. He covered up their shame. He provided for them. He, he kept them. He showed them the way to make it back to him. He showed them about sacrifices and, and how to please him. And he didn't have to do that, but he did. He didn't have to come to earth in the robe himself and flesh, but he did anyways. He didn't have to uh, uh, carry that cross. And he didn't have to be beaten with 39 stripes, save one. But he did, didn't he? He didn't have to pay for your healing with those stripes. But he did, did he? He didn't have to carry that cross up Golgotha's hill. But he did, didn't he? He didn't have to die on that cross. But he did. He came looking for you. He came looking for me. He came looking for Adam and Eve. And he knew that something had separated them, that fall, that they had touched the fruit. They had eaten of the forbidden fruit. And that separation of, of sin came up and, and, and took them away from the presence of God. And, and God says, uh, instead of uh, uh, just writing them off, i got to go look for them. I'm going to go find them. i got to go look and, and find where they are at and ask them where they're at and so I can help them bring them back. He, he came to his own. He came to give his life for you and for me so that we can be redeemed and reconnected with him. That's the love that God has for you and I. 
And I'm telling you here today, God is here today, and He's still looking. He's still seeking after those, those that are lost. God is here saying, come, come this way. Come and find me. I'm looking for you. I'm hunting for you. I want to make you be connected with me. And so who are we to reject God and turn God away? I want to embrace God. I want to come running to His open arms. Why? Because of His love that He has for me, of His desire to be with us. And He is here today seeking each and every one of us to draw closer to Him and even more than we have been in the past. As far and as close as you and I are, there's still a distance that we can make today. There's still a step forward that we can go and say, God, I want to be closer to you. I want to draw near to you, God, and I know that you will be there for me. And as we close out this service, let's begin to sing and worship and begin to draw close to God with our hearts because He didn't have to do what He did. But he did it, didn't he? Because he loves us. Let's begin to worship him today. Let's begin to magnify him. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace and mercy. We worship you today. We magnify you. Because you sought after us. You came to us, Lord. You died for us while we were yet sinners. You came looking for us, God. And so we're going to seek your face here today. Thank you, Lord, for your love that you've shown to us. We are so special in your eyes, God. Help us continue following after you. Man, our God is so good. Man, he's so powerful. He doesn't have to do what he does. But yet he still does it anyways. That makes us want to give him our whole heart, doesn't he? Because we have the choice to. Amen. And so we're going to now shift into a time of, of prayer. 
that we can begin to seek God because he's come here to seek us. We need to spend some time seeking him and praying together as a church body and as a family. Amen. And so if you want some of these books, these devotionals to help keep you connected throughout the week, I uh, implore you to grab some. Man, we want to be on the same page and growing forward together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. You're dismissed. Amen. Let's continue to seek the face of God.